I ask, Lord, that those words that we have sung would not simply be words upon our lips, but vital reality in our lives. Lord, all we have is yours. Lord, I think today you want to mess with our hearts. Ah, so we say, Jesus, come, mess with our hearts. Because you love us way too much to leave us the way we are. So speak now your truth and reality into our life together. Come. Come now, living word. Eternal word, speak your now word for this moment, for this day, for this congregation, for this people, for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I'd like to add my welcome to Pastor Ben's, uh, welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. We're so grateful that you're here with us this morning. My name is Pastor Jim Olson. I have the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship for the past 22 and almost a half years now, and uh, so grateful that God has given me the privilege of serving here in this congregation. This summer we are doing a sermon series entitled Kingdom Culture, and um, it's been God's really, I think tilling in our hearts. The, 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 the Bible says about itself, it says the word is uh, sharper than any, is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And it goes and it pierces even to the separating of the bone from the marrow, um, exposing all things before God. And when that happens, when the word of God comes into our lives and begins to expose even even going to the very exposing of marrow and bone, right down to the very core of who we are. Um, The reason that the Word does that is because the intention that God has for us is our good, and He does that to expose those things that might be hindering us or keeping us from experiencing the fullness of life that He intends for us. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only, only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, and in some translations, life to the full, or life abundant. So the purpose of God in our life, and the purpose of the word going into our life, and exposing things, is to expose those places where the thief would come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, as we've been walking through this series on kingdom culture, I believe that the Lord has been exposing things in our lives, both individually and corporately, in a sense, even systemically, because we're talking about issues related to culture, things that transcend our own kind of individual experience, but become a part of our collective experience. And he's doing it because he desires to, to elevate and bring us into a, an experience of what we're calling kingdom culture. Now, I have made this um, premise before you, and I believe that it's supportable from Scripture. 
as well as from experience. And that is that there is a kingdom culture which transcends all earthly cultures and transforms our earthly cultural worldviews, our values, and our practices. If you remember in your mind, those of you that have been, been here the last several weeks, I don't have the diagram up this morning, but remember three concentric circles. There's worldview, values, and practices. And we're going to unfold that more as we go through this particular message, so I won't take time to do that now. But what I am contending before you is that there is a kingdom culture which actually transcends earthly cultures. Now, we experience different pieces of earthly cultures today. We heard other languages. We got to hear um, the Nepali language. We got to hear Creole. We got to hear English. You got to hear a variety of different languages. Maybe there was somebody sitting by you who was worshiping or praying in another earthly language that you didn't know. That is just simply one expression of earthly culture. I'm wearing something from India this morning. Um, this is this is just a, a, a part of it, an identification, a way of just recognizing that in this house of prayer, where we've got people from 28 different nations, there's all kinds of different kinds of fashion or things that people wear that just express externally some of those cultural values or things that are just part of their life and daily life. And so it's just a way of identification with What I'm saying is, in a, in a congregation like ours with 28 different nations and all of our family of growing family of churches, what, I'm, what, what I think is vitally important that we understand is that there actually is a kingdom culture that is embedded for us in biblical reality, this kingdom culture that transcends earthly cultures and not only does it transcend those earthly cultures, but it actually transforms earthly cultures. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not be conformed. Our earthly cultures have a way of conforming us to certain patterns of understanding, that's our, at our worldview level, our values and our practices. They're conformed according to those worldviews, according to those patterns that are primarily in our mind. But... The scripture is very clear to not be conformed to that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember when Jesus, and we shared this out of the beginning of the book of Acts, for the 40 days that Jesus was on earth after his resurrection, post-resurrection, when he was with his disciples, he spent those 40 days, it tells us in Acts 1-3, he spent those days together with his disciples teaching them about the kingdom of God. Paul, when he was in prison, the very last words of the book of Acts tell us that Paul was teaching, when he was imprisoned in Rome, he was teaching those who came and all that came within his sphere of influence, he was teaching them 
about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is vitally important. In fact, Jesus taught on the kingdom of God more than anything else. In fact, right at the beginning of his ministry, in Mark 1.15, he says, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And that is the transformation process that happens in all of our lives. It begins with repentance, but it continues on to believing. In repentance, we acknowledge and recognize where our bentness is, where we are conformed perhaps to a pattern of this world that is not in alignment with the pattern and purposes of God, and we repent, we turn from that, we acknowledge that place of brokenness, that bentness, that distortedness in us, and we believe we begin to shift our orientation in order that we will come into alignment with his purpose and heart as it relates to the kingdom of God. And so repent and believe this good news the good news of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom is near and the kingdom has come. Now, the scripture that we've been using as our focal point for this particular uh, series of messages comes from Acts chapter 2. The early church, just birthed after the day of Pentecost, is immersed in this kingdom culture and living it out. And it tells us in Acts 2, 42 and 43, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So over the last five weeks, we've unpacked those verses, and we've looked at a culture of living truth, a culture of koinonia, a culture of covenant, a culture of dependence, and a culture of awe as kingdom culture realities that again transcend and transform all our earthly cultures. And if you'd like to get more uh, information about those, you can go to the website, um, BethelTwinCities.org, and uh, download in the media, and you can uh, listen to these on MP3 files. You can also pick up CDs and PowerPoints of all of these messages in the back, and I would encourage you to do so because, you know, we're kind of unfolding something that is, uh, you know, there's deep calling to deep here, and so there's been a lot of things that we've already looked at in relationship to this kingdom culture. This morning, our focus is going to be on the next couple of scriptures in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, where it tells us that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. This same theme is picked up just a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4, where it says all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This morning, the topic of our message today, as it relates to this kingdom culture reality, is going to be discovering what it means to live in a culture of generosity. A culture of 
of generosity. So, come with me as we go more deeply into this. First of all, let's talk again about that concentric circle because here's, I think, what God's after. God's not interested in simply sort of rearranging things in our lives, particularly if our lives aren't going in the direction that he would desire for them to go. I mean, then it's kind of like rearranging the chairs in the Titanic. You know, you don't rearrange the deck chairs in the Titanic when the Titanic is about to hit an iceberg. God is after the deep heart issues in our lives. And that the core of that is our worldview. And remember, we've used this definition for the last couple of weeks to help us understand this. A worldview is a set of presuppositions or assumptions that we hold consciously or subconsciously about the basic makeup of our world. And we hold those things, and speaking of icebergs, they're like, you know, we see the little pieces of culture at the top, but underneath is this vast domain of, of presuppositions that we have and assumptions about the way the world works. Now that is true, particularly in the area of, well, in many different areas of our life, it's certainly true in the area of economic life. Now, some of you may not actually know this, but when I was in college, my undergraduate degree was in economics and in literature. I loved economics, and I loved literature, and I get to use them both. It's so cool. I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful for the background God gave me. I mean, I, I didn't know I was going into ministry at that time, and so it has been enormously and immensely practical and helpful for me to have that kind of background and understanding. So I want to take you for just a moment, and this is, you know, we're going to do a, a really quick flyover here, but I want to, I want to talk about, because I, I think we need to get something here in a worldview understanding about economics. And so I'm going to talk about three kinds of worldviews, the first of which is the worldview which most, well, certainly the worldview that we are immersed in here living in America 2012. And that is a capitalist economic worldview. Now I'm going to do this very simplistically, and I realize that there's all kinds of other complexities, but for the sake of time and just for the sake of helping us kind of hone in on the heart of things, let's just talk for a moment about a capitalist economic worldview. You probably haven't heard many messages about this, okay? So, so kind of listen with me here, okay? In a capitalist economic worldview, the definition of that, this is a simple definition, is a free market economy that operates without exterior control, and the marketplace naturally orders itself about the needs and wants of the people. The invisible hand, all right, of the market. All right? Now, kind of underneath, if we were to ask a simple question, and here's where I really want to get at the heart of things. In a capitalist economic worldview, if you ask the question, who owns the goods, the answer is, I do. Ask any two-year-old who owns the toy. Mine. But that follows us throughout our life. We're, we're immersed in a capitalist 
worldview that views everything that we have as ours, that we own that. If you ask who owns it, I do. Right? Okay? You with me so far? All right, now, probably the other well, most um, common one is a socialist economic worldview, which is not the one that you're seeing the definition of. This is a managed market economy that is controlled by the state, and the state orders the marketplace to meet what it decides are the needs and wants of the people. So it's a managed economy, and communism would be a form or a, you know, a related cousin of socialism. And the question here is, who owns the goods? The state does. The state owns what is being, you know, what, what you have. That's the state's. Now, you know, this is, and I'm not going to go into this, but of course this is where a lot of political argument happens. Are we a capitalist economy or a socialist? Which direction are we moving? And there's constant battles between the two, and are we losing this, that, and the other? We're talking about worldview battles. We're talking about something that's, that's kind of underlying just what's going on up here. There are underlying sets of assumptions that are going on, all right? So a socialist, this is a socialist worldview. Now, a kingdom culture economic worldview, the definition of that is a liberated market economy that is controlled by the spirit. Now, this is my definition, okay? So you're not going to go into any, probably you're not going to pick up the textbook at school and find this, all right? This is Jim Olson's definition, okay? And you all can work at it, and some of you can email me even a better definition, all right? Which would be great. But a liberated market economy that is controlled by the spirit and the Spirit leads his stewards to pursue his purposes and meet the true needs of the people. And here's where we start to get really... This is where things start to... The rubber hits the road. Because when the question is asked, who owns the goods? God does. God does. All we have is yours. All we have is yours. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand. My soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I have is yours. Really? Hmm. All right. Now, preacher, you're starting to meddle. All right, but here we go. The earth is the Lord's. And most everything in it. 
and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on the thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it, everything that you see around, it's his. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers guess what the only one who legitimately gets to say mine is God because that's true when he says mine say yep yours it's yours that's a worldview issue, people. That's, that's at the heart of, and, and, and strikes at the heart of the culture that we live in. Is we live in a culture that says, mine. And God wants to liberate us from our cultural worldview. All right. Values are the cultural ideals that link abstract philosophy, the worldview, to concrete practices. This is a definition by James Kludeman. Remember, in between worldview, which is at the center, and practices, which are at the outside, is that in-between place that we call values. And here's where we get at this issue of generosity and a culture of generosity, because that is a kingdom culture value. The value in the kingdom is that the value of generosity. Generosity. Now I'm going to take you back for a moment to a couple of definitions that we've already looked at related to koinonia. And again, uh, a couple weeks ago when Pastor Justin preached about a culture of dependency, he, he noted that these, the scriptures we're looking at this morning are intricately related to the fellowship that they enjoyed it together, the koinonia. And it's true because they are very, at the root, at the heart, we're talking about the same word. Okay, generosity comes from the root word koine, meaning common or commonality. It's the same root as in koinonia, which we translate fellowship, and means common participation in God. The foundation of koinonia is our mutual relationship with God. The function of koinonia happens through our mutual relationship with one another. So we, I talked about, if you want more on that, go to the culture of covenant, because there is a koine, there's a, or I'm sorry, the culture of koinonia, go to that particular message, the second message, which talks about this. But what's really interesting is the word generosity, the word for generosity in the Greek is koinonikos, which means liberally giving or sharing what is one's own. It is a value that is directly connected to koinonia. Generosity, the same root word, common and commonality. It's the same root word. It's the same thing that brings us into covenant relationship with one another. In the covenant relationship we have with him, with God, it's all his, 
He places it at our disposal to hold with open hands in the context of our life with one another. Our common relationships with one another. Now, this scripture that Paul writes to Timothy is very bracing. I'm going to give you a heads up. The next scripture is very because he's speaking to us. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. That would be us. We live in America, 2012. Compared to the rest of the world and compared historically, this is written to you and to me. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. (laughs) Is that not true? So uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good needs, good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You've all heard the story. Now, those of you who are from Africa or places or India or places where there are monkeys, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm told this. I've been told that, or I've read this, I should say, that, that if you want to trap a monkey, the way that you can do that is you make, you, you um, drill a hole in a coconut and put something inside of the coconut that is sweet and tasty, something that the monkey will be interested in getting. And what the monkey will do is the monkey will put his hand in to grab hold of that sweet thing, and when he grabs hold of it with his fist, his fist holding the sweet thing in there will no longer be able to come out of the coconut. And the monkey will sit there with that held in the coconut. It becomes a trap to it for the person who's hunting. The monkey can come along and the monkey will not let go of it even to save its own I've been around a long time. I've been in ministry a long time. And I can tell you, I have watched people do this. Hold on to the sweet thing in the coconut, not letting it go even to save their life. And all it would take would be this. Open your hand and let it go. Just let it go. And then you get the life that is truly life. Again, God's coming to mess with our hearts to go to these foundation things because he wants us to experience life. Let go. All right. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will themselves 
be with flesh. I love that. You see, because we erect fences around our lives, our time, our treasures, our talents, we think if we carefully hold on to them, you know, if we build walls around them and don't let anybody get at them, then we're going to have enough at the end. And the word says, a generous person, when you cannot outgive God. And when you open your hands and release what he has given to you, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Have you discovered that to be true? If you haven't yet discovered the joy of that, start letting go. Start liberally sharing what you got. Don't hang on to it. It's not yours anyway. I remember when we purchased our home 22 years ago. Well, we're still purchasing our home. But anyway, when we moved into the home in which we will eventually have purchased, um, you know, we just... We went in with the attitude, God, this is your house, not ours. First year we were there, I recorded people staying at our home 100 nights. It's the first year that we've had that. We've had thousands of people. Many, if not most of you, have been in our house at one time or another. It's not really fancy. There's not, you know, it's, it's not large or, you know, in, in, in kind of American standards. It's just a, a normal, but it's not ours. It's his. You know, that your time, your talent, the things that you have, pour it out. It's a value, a kingdom value to liberally share. I share this only to encourage you because God has encouraged us. I mean, God spoke, Annette and I have been praying, and God spoke to us a couple months back. He said, Increase your generosity. Do an upgrade. And it's been so fun. It's just great. I'm telling you, it's just delightful to be able to just open your hands and say, okay. Kingdom economy works. By the way, it works really different. I mean, we hear testimonies about that, and you go, oh, man, well, that works for them. That'll never work for me. It's incredible. Kingdom economy works really different. Sometimes it just doesn't even add up. I don't know how it works. But it works. I can tell you it works. <laughs> All right. So, practices. Now, practices, this is my definition, are the highly visible and easily noticeable cultural expressions that encompass such things as food, fashion, and festivals and the patterns of daily life. So, practices are where really now we take the rubber hits the road and now the car goes down the highway. So we've got the worldview. The worldview is a kingdom, culture, economic worldview. And then generosity is the value. Now there's some practices that we put alongside of those of, of that value. All right? Now, biblically, there are several things, but let's, let's talk about the most significant here. The kingdom culture practice that I want to just hone in on as we close this morning is that of stewardship. A steward is one who is called to exercise responsible care over the possessions, time, talents, and treasure entrusted to him or her. Stewardship 
is the individual's responsibility for sharing systematically and proportionately his or her possessions, time, talent, and treasure in the service of God and for the benefit of all mankind. All right? So you are a steward. In fact, if you're a child of God, say it with me. I am a steward. I am a steward. And I have been given a stewardship. You've been given a stewardship. Every single one of you have been given a stewardship. It's not if you have been given a stewardship, but how you are exercising the stewardship that you have been given. Because every single one of us have been given stewardship. Matthew 6, Jesus kind of lays a foundation for the practices here. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Yeah, you're, if you're going to store it up here, someday something's going to come in and mess that up. If that's your treasure, if it's here. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I always find that, we don't have time to, I've preached on that other times, but listen to that. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But I don't feel like giving. God says, put your treasure there and your heart will start to move there. Not the other way around. We wait till we feel it. Well, I got to feel something. I think obedience trumps feeling. And if you will do what he said, your heart will begin to follow that. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It doesn't say you can't have both God and money, but you can't serve them both. You're going to choose to serve one or the other. And money is a powerful, powerful um, authority kind of figure in many of our lives. Many people subconsciously serve money. Just ask yourself, what's the most important question of discernment I ask in how I spend my money? Can I afford it? If that's your only question you're asking, then money is making your decisions and not God. Because you might be able to afford it, but you might not be able to or should not be giving it. You might not be able to afford the giving he's calling you to do. Just a thought. Okay. Because all things belong to God. We receive all we have as gifts from him. To be cared for by him and fully available to him. Fully available to him. So how do we make our time, talent, and treasures fully available to him? We practice giving. Practice. Practice giving. What it says in Luke 6.38 is given, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What kind of measure do you want to use? Use a little thimble, and it will be measured into you. Use it. Man, I want to use the biggest bucket I can find. If the way it's going to be measured back to me is in the way that I'm measuring it out. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) Are we there? 
I know, this is a lot to process, but I think God wants to begin to adjust and shift something in us as a congregation. We're learning about radical generosity as a congregation. You know, we don't... By the way, in all of our family of churches, nobody rents our building. We don't have a single renter in our building. I am, like, completely uninterested in renting our building. What I am really interested in, what God wants to do with his kingdom. And partnership. And mutual participation in what God's doing. Doesn't that sound fun? That sounds great. Practice giving. All right. Well, here we go. Now we'll get really practical for just a moment because sometimes you got to start with the most simple practical things. So tithing means giving 10% of our gross income. You know, with tithing, I, I just don't believe in practicing like deductions for tithing. Well, wait a minute now. It's after this, 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 and I take off this, this, this. No. My gross income. Started that when I was a kid. That's one thing that was embedded into me as a value and a practice from childhood. I encourage you to do that with your kids. My kids already being embedded in that. It's, it's held me throughout my life when I've had very little. We've told, you know, I've shared, you know, when, I, when, when Annette and I started out in ministry 25, 27 years ago, made $200 a week. It's not a lot of money for a family of three. $200 a week, $20 goes in. The Lord, I don't have enough. Well, he knows I don't have enough. Guess what? Never went hungry. Somehow that oil tank that cost 800 bucks to fill twice in a winter somehow got filled. I don't know how. Honestly, I don't know how. All right? But God's faithful. Right? He says in all of these scriptures, in, in Malachi 3, says, will a mere mortal rob God that you rob me? But... You ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. This is the one place God invites us to test him. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Will you to store it? Try it. Practice it. Give it a whirl. Start somewhere. If it seems too much for you, to start at the 10%, start at 1% and grow it. And by the way, for those of you that are 10%, it's not, oh yeah, 10%'s a floor, not a ceiling. I have a friend who is hopeful of getting at the end of his life, he wants to get to the place where he's giving away 90%. I like that. Upgrade. You're giving 10% now? Give 11%. 12, 13, 14, 15. Upgrade. Your generosity. Offerings are giving contributions beyond the tithe. I love this scripture in Exodus 35. The whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all of its service, and for the sacred gardens, garments. And all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. They brought their offerings. They gave above and beyond that 10% which they had been commanded to give. And in that, the work was able to move forward. Look for opportunities to give above and beyond. When you give an offering, by the way, 
can I make this really clear? If your tithe is $100 and you want to give an offering to the missions, Radiate Missions trip, your tithe should not suddenly become 75 and 25 of that go to the offering. No, it's above the tithe. It's beyond your tithing. Don't take from your tithe in order to give the offering. Do both. It's fun. I got to write three checks today. It was awesome. Wasn't that fun? I had fun. Give hilariously. It's joyous to be able to give, even if it's a little bit. It doesn't, we're not talking about, like, vast. It's proportionally. So, you know, some of you make a little. Some of you make more. Some of you make a lot more. Whatever that is, it's, it's not about comparison. I mean, Jesus was very clear about that. The widow with two mites, she gave everything. <laughs> it's not about the amount itself. It's about what that's reflective of what's going on in your heart. Then there's benevolence and alms. Giving contributions to those in need. 1 John 3, 16 and 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We had to lay down our lives for others. Brother, our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I love, one of the things I love in this house is the flow of blessing. I think that's so cool. It's where connections between needs and stuff people have kind of get made. I think that's living this out in 21st century America, where we're actually beginning to practice that. We can practice even more of it's a beautiful thing when you begin to step into this place. All right, what happens when we embrace a kingdom culture of generosity? Worship team, come on up. We're closing right now. Here's what happens. Listen to this. Don't get distracted now. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, listen to this, all the alls, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service, of the service by which you proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Here's what happens when we begin to embrace a kingdom culture of generosity. Others are blessed, we are blessed, and God is blessed. So I want to encourage you, there is, listen to me, I don't have any condemnation in this message for us as a congregation. This is an incredibly generous congregation. Yet at the same time, as I say, there's no condemnation. I would ask you to allow the Lord to do in your heart what he's been doing in my heart, in my wife's heart, in our hearts, in our lives, and in many others I know, to bring a conviction around this area. Because God is intent on this in his kingdom culture. 
And if we collectively together were able to step into this even more fully than we already have, imagine what would open up before us. I mean, there are, I mean, God has given us a vision that's very large, much larger than what we at least externally appear to have the capacity to handle. But I believe that if we step in and begin to practice this collectively together as a congregation, and I know, because I know your lives and I'm with you as your shepherd, I know the complexities that many of you face. I know the demands that are upon your lives. So I'm not trying to put a, a heavy weight or burden upon you. I'm not trying to put a yoke on you that, that isn't, you know, yours to carry. I'm not, you know, remember, I mean, God doesn't need your money. <laughs> but he does want your life. And he wants to pour his life into you even more fully than you've experienced to this point. And part of the way that that's going to happen is when you get to that place of all I have is yours. All I am, all I have. My cars, my house. Some of you might have, I don't, but you know, some of you got storage lockers of stuff. It's not all his. Whatever you have, it's yours, Lord. And if you'll begin to practice, I believe, this kingdom economy, worldview, and the values and the practices, God's going to do something in your life and in our life together that's going to be a wonder to behold. And that's my prayer. So if we could stand to, to our feet together here. I'd like to do something um, just as, as closing. Because I really feel like this isn't just an individual message. I really feel like this is a corporate message. Could you go ahead and put the words to that song up? Um, we're going to change the words, worship team. So please lead us in this. This is, my, this is our desire to honor you. Lord, with all our heart, we worship you. All we have within us. We give you praise. All that we adore is in you. And if you just, I know, some of you, ah, holding hands. Would you hang on to a hand next to you, though, please? I just, I really feel like I want to do this corporately, and I'm going to come up here, and Brenda, you, can, you and I can hold hands. So, got Dave's shoulder. All right. I'm going to pray a prayer of benediction, but then doesn't mean we're done. If you need to do further work with the Lord, the worship team is going to continue to, to, to lead us into that place of surrender, and the altar will be open, but if you need to go, you'll be welcome to do so. But if you just keep your visiting until you're out in the lobby. But let me please give a benediction, and again, if you just keep your hands together, I'm sorry if you let them go, just keep them together. I want to do a corporate benediction this morning over us as a congregation. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for this house and the call that you've placed upon this house to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. I thank you for the multitude of ways in which this house has practiced the value of generosity, has been stewards and good stewards, the wise leadership you've given over the years 
to our boards who have wisely stewarded the funds that you've given to us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that in this liberated kingdom economy, you have led by your spirit and you've led us this far. And God, I believe right now, I just sense in my spirit a call to an increase. Do you want to shift something deep within us into a deeper place of generosity, into a a, a deeper um, value of generosity, a deeper practice of stewardship, Lord, than we've experienced before? You want to liberate us into something new, Lord God. I just sense that deep in my spirit. So I want to pray that blessing into the life of this body, into the very core of the life of this body, into the very foundations, the worldview, Lord God. Come, liberate us, Lord, and lead us by your spirit. And now, Lord, over this body, I pray that you would flood every single member of this body, those who are here and those who aren't, those who ministered so generously this last week in day camp, Lord, those who have been pouring themselves out on behalf of your kingdom for the kids and in other ways, Lord. We pray that you would fill each and every one to the fullness of the measure of the fullness, the overwhelming (laughs) love of God, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of His favor and love and blessing over your life until we gather again, either in this house or our eternal home. I bless you, people of God. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.